Now stupid me. A lot of people have been asking about that, about black holes and on and on and on and all of these conspiracy theories. Let's look at this. Uh, Noah says, what else can you think about? Black hole, Bermuda Triangle. And then Deji says, huh, just like the movie Lost. I know it's preposterous, but it, is it preposterous, you think, Mary? <laughs> Don't answer, Mary, it's a trap! Shout out to Don Lemon. Uh, give give that man his job back. He's not as much of a moron as I once thought. Uh, I I remembered that clip. Uh, you know when it first went viral, and I was like, this guy is a fucking idiot, unbelievably stupid. And now I've been watching uh, Ashton Forbes work for the past week or so, and I am starting to think maybe Don Lemon was ahead of his time. Uh, we are joined. Uh, this is Clint Russell. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. We are joined today by Ashton Forbes. He is the founder of MH3. Is it what? What is, what's the foundation? MH370X. Yeah, MH370X. Yep. Okay. Yep. Got it. Um, and it's basically like uh, just a, a ragtag group of you know, specialists in different fields that are trying to get to the bottom of the story. Um, I, I am not a specialist in this field, but I have, I have deep dove, uh, many of your interviews over the past week. And I was just absolutely thrilled that you had the time to come on. Cause I think this is, uh, this has the potential to be the biggest story in human history. <laughs> like, I don't think that's overstating it. Uh, it also has the potential to be the, the biggest hoax in human history. So uh, we're, we're trying to figure out which it is. And uh, Ashton, first off, uh, for those that aren't familiar with him, I'm going to try not yes. to do the most rudimentary uh, you know, background of everything because that you've done that on so many other interviews. And I, I want to take this a little bit deeper and we have limited time. But first yeah. off, uh, let's start with, you know, what, I mean, first off, do you think do you think that Don Lemon actually had any idea that he might have been right? Uh, that's wild. We would, we show that clip uh, pretty frequently on my stream, and I think I posted okay. it on my Twitter once. And yeah, I had the same reaction as you back then. In fact, I might have watched that. I didn't realize that John Stewart did a piece on Daily Show back then as well. But it seemed so ridiculous at the time. And I don't think that what we're looking at in these videos is a black hole because I do think that it would suck in at least the clouds, if not part of the Earth, if not the whole Earth. But it is interesting that it does look similar to what you would expect an intermediate black hole to look like in the zap we see in the video. So, no, I totally agree with you. We might owe Don Lemon an apology. And uh, <laughs> if you Google uh, Don Lemon black holes, just be careful. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you can get multiple uh, Make results. sure safe searches on. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, well, Mario Nafal is uh, reporting today. Well, actually, it's he's re-reporting what the Daily Mail said that since 2003, the Office of Global Access, a division of the CIA, has been actively involved in retrieving alien spacecraft. According to sources, U.S. government has reportedly reported at least nine non-human craft, including some from crashes, with two found completely intact. The CIA allegedly possesses a system capable of detecting cloaked UFOs and specialized military units are dispatched to recover the wreckage as per the source. Uh, I mean, first off, what do you think of that? And then we'll, we'll get into it. Yeah, well, like I tell people, I didn't get into looking into UFOs and UFO videos and stuff until about 2017 when those DOD Navy videos were declassified. I think it's pretty funny that there's still people out there that try to debunk those videos, even though the government's come out and said, yeah, these are real videos and they're, they're declassified. And Because for me, that's when I said, oh, wow, there, there's actually maybe something to this. Now, before I saw the MH370 videos, I had never seen anything that was so compelling that I felt like I had to become activists and start to speak about it, right? Um, but I do think that there is something there, especially when it comes to these UAPs. I think really at this point now, for me, it becomes a question of how many of these that we see flying around are our objects that are our advanced technology and how many of them are something else. 
I'm not personally convinced yet that there are extraterrestrials that are visiting us, but um, I do think there has to be life out there somewhere. So I don't rule it out. I, I keep an open mind for that. I'm more of the opinion that if something were to visit us, I would imagine it to be like artificial intelligence, right? Robotic in nature or uh, something like that. And then if I do believe in non-human intelligence, I, my personal opinion would be the ultra terrestrial hypothesis, which is that there is some other life on this planet that either evolved before us or in tandem to us, potentially in deep in the oceans that we haven't monitored uh, or that type of thing. And part of the reason why I think that is that a lot of these UAP encounters seem to be over the water and the mm -hmm. Navy seems to be the one who's really in charge of a lot of that. So from what I've been told, just to kind of wrap it up, is that you know, I would lean more towards like, is there something that we found that was buried that we found these types of objects and then we started to reverse engineer them? And maybe there's some type of almost like weapons race going on between the various countries to try to utilize and harness this technology. Well, I mean, there's no doubt that there is a weapons race broadly. So if there is advanced technology that the you know broader population isn't privy to, of course, there's a weapons race in that arena as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a matter of whether or not that technology exists, whether or not it actually is extraterrestrial. And I have not ever really seen anything that was super compelling. I think, as you said, the, uh, the Navy footage off of the coast of San Diego, where I'm originally from, I think was the first time that the government really confirmed footage that at least struck me as, you know, being worth a real investigation. Uh, what's fascinating about it is that the orbs in the MH370 footage, uh, they strike me as being, if not the same, but similar technology. Uh, have you have you dug into that to to like what do you guys think as as to the correlation? Is it uh, yeah? Is it reverse engineered te tech? Jesus Christ! Is it <laughs> yeah. reverse engineered technology or is it uh, uh, you know actually alien? Yeah, my opinion is that we're looking at reverse engineered technology in this, and I think that is come about from the totality of the investigation, the evidence that is out there. Is that from a motivation perspective, if something is happening to this plane and from the way that the cameras are recording, like these orbs appear after they're already recording the plane, the thermal uh, electro IR drone video zooms in and then zooms out right before this plane undergoes this phase transition, which would indicate that they were planning. They knew something was about to happen. Um, also the, what these orbs look like compared to like, you know, commander Fravers sighting from the Tic Tac, which I think is, uh, what you're talking about off coast of San Diego out there. Yeah. Um, and that was off the Nimitz encounter, right. In the early two thousands, it seems like it's like our version of those types of crafts. Like what we're seeing in the MH370 videos, we see this sphere, which I've been talking to engineers and scientists who've been looking into these types of, uh, technologies that are out there. And I think the best explanation is we're looking at the non-radiating barrier, which is that we're seeing the field around a smaller object that is interacting with space-time, that's displacing space-time. You know, like if you were to think of like a bubble in water, underneath the water, right? And so it's displacing that space. And so that's what we're seeing there with that sphere, as opposed to a solid object. Like I've seen, you know, metal spheres, the Tic Tac, I think, that people talk about where maybe that's a barrier around them, but generally as they get described to us, it's a you know solid object. Um, so I, I think it, in my opinion, we're looking at our reverse engineer technology and that that technology is probably being held secret through third-party contractors, companies like Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, uh, Boeing, maybe Bigelow Airspace, probably others that are out there as well that I haven't named. 
uh, because that seems like the logical place to hide it where you can shield it from FOIA requests. Mm-hmm. And you can also then have the benefit of it being um, under non-disclosure agreements where no one can really talk about it. Yeah, it's the public-private partnership type of stuff that we've been dealing with censorship as well. Um, it kind of circumvents our rights, and I think that they could use the same kind of structure to uh, you know, obfuscate the truth of this technology uh, and, and advance it potentially. Um, all right, uh, do you have, uh, is it possible on your end to, to pull up your footage? Yeah, I oh, definitely can. Yep, I've okay. got it all ready to go. So also what I'd like to say while I'm pulling this up is that I think that a lot of this is hidden in plain sight. You know, you even go back to, I think it's Ben Rich of was he Lockheed Martin Skunk Works where he said that we have the technology to take ET home. You know, at the time I thought that was a silly statement, but then, you know, you, you kind of wonder like this guy's an important guy. Why is he making such a bold claim like this? Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, then it gets you to think like, oh, well, maybe we do have this technology. Right. And once you see these videos, you start to think, okay, well, you know, what would that really look like? And, um, you know, I think that at first it seems far-fetched that this could be really the type of technology that is required. But as you dig into it, as you talk to the engineers, as you look at the patents from people like Salvatore Pius, you start to realize, oh, this is already out there. We just haven't been taking it seriously. Right. So this is the side-by-side view. These are two different videos that we've got. And in fact, the original version of the satellite video you see on the right here uh, actually comes in a, another side-by-side view, which is a stereoscopic view. Uh, that we can look at as well but i think it's nice to look at it from the side by side where you can see that these are going to be completely synced up we can see that there's at least two assets filming this plane that this is a 777-200 there's only one missing 777-200 out there and it's making a turn it's descending as well we can see this smoke coming out of the back there's been speculation as to is this contrails smoke exhaust some people have even speculated could this be fuel uh the predominance of the evidence says that this would be smoke uh, it's too low for contrails. These cumulus clouds we see here only form at low altitudes, whereas mm-hmm. contrails only form at high altitudes. This turn that we see the plane doing is a standard circle turn. What we think the plane is doing here is descending into a landing, uh, emergency landing over the ocean that we can see in the background. This satellite video is looking down, not up. A lot of people, we have so little understanding of what a satellite video would look like that a lot of people don't realize that we're even looking down in this video. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I knew right away. Now, right uh, away, we see this orb come fly in off the side of the screen here in the satellite video, and it's moving at like Mach 3, 2,000 plus miles per hour. It's going to slingshot is, is right there, past the plane. Are, are there any human crafts that we know of that can even go at that speed? There may be some that can break. I, honestly, I'm not sure how what, how fast that some of our jets can go. I mean, I know they can break the speed barrier for sure. Right. So, you know, but that would be Mach 1. Seems, yeah, seems but this is pretty wild. Yeah, the, the crazy part about it is how quickly it just turns around like that, where this orb shoots past the plane, almost like it's trying to lock in on it. And you see right away, the first circle around it doesn't quite lock in. And then it begins to lock in on the plane, and then it's circling it. And the second orb will shoot up through the clouds and connect to it as well, right now. Shoots up through the clouds, and then the third orb comes from the side of the screen. So within about 10 seconds, now we have three orbs on it. The second and third orb immediately connect to the plane. They don't have any problem tracking it as if like the first one was able to lock in and then the other ones get around it. Um, And we can see this non-radiating barrier right away on the thermal as well. This perfect sphere where there's a little bit of discoloration around it. They seem to be doing a pretty clear pattern here. Um, Now, the pattern looks like it's mapping the plane. From talking to DOD contractor Dave Rossi on my Hard Truths podcast, 
he thinks that what they're doing here is preparing the, the kind of the space time around the plane. They could be doing multiple things at this point. Sure. And they change formations. And now they're just completely vertical, like a ring around the plane. And this is so right before already, we're going to get They've already back. mapped it. Seemingly, yeah. And they could do it pretty quickly, it seems like. Yeah, now, well, very, very quickly. Now, you can see here, if I switch back and forth between the frames, somebody told me about this little trick here, how quickly this zap happens. In just a couple frames, this whole thing is gone. Right. So it goes from being there to this zap. This accurately illuminates the clouds, this illumination here that we see from the thir from the uh, satellite video. And people wonder, well, why is this white here? Well, in the satellite video, we believe we're looking at the Sibbers system, space-based infrared system. So this is a Google Earth video playback used by the military. And the purpose of this system is to track boats, planes, missiles, uh, intelligence, and battlefield awareness. So really everything that we could think of. There was even a Trump picture that was posted in 2019 that we think was of this system looking down at an Iran, uh, I think it was a missile silo or, yep. yeah. And so we think that got, that was he, just a he still picture of this. He got chastised because like they're not supposed to release that footage. That was like the first time we've seen satellite pictures in like 30 years, 40, right. 40 years or something like that. And without that picture, I don't think we would have ever been able to figure out what we're looking at on the right side of the screen here. Um, Interesting. And then we Google Sibbers and we find out there's a whole video explaining how it works with satellites all over the world, which Kim.com even posted, pulled from yeah. my Twitter. And you can see here that the smoke here just stops like the moment this thing goes away. If the smoke kept going forward, I would have thought, okay, well, this plane just cloaked or something like that. But the leaker scrolls over to the right, to show us like, nope, there's no plane over here. That That's just gone. And it's not annihilation. It's not an explosion. What we see in the thermal here is an endothermic event. It's a cold event. And I'll switch over and show my other. What I want to do first is show the HD thermal. Today's episode with Ashton Forbes is brought to you by Phoenix Ammunition. They are the premier supplier to the militia industrial complex with 100% of their sales going directly to American citizens. No military contracts, no law enforcement deals, simply the highest quality American-made ammunition served directly to the people the Second Amendment was written for. This company espouses the belief system that I cherish. And that is the only reason I'm doing business with them. Phoenix Ammo use the highest quality components. Phoenix Ammunition is the trusted supplier to top-level competitive shooters. Shooters, head to phoenixammo.com. That's F-E-N-I-X ammo.com. Subscribe to their propaganda newsletter and follow them on Twitter at Phoenix Ammunition for the latest in product updates, high-quality trolling, small L libertarian commentary, and world-class meme warfare. Save up to 25% off all day, every day with their automatic volume-based discounts. Come for the ammo, stay for the memes, phoenixammo.com. Is it still sharing? Yeah, it is. Okay. Yes. So same event again, and this one actually has a slow-mo version where you can see these orbs in non-radiant boundary. This is actually the original from Regicide Anon as well, which actually has this extra kind of footage that's been spliced in here. Uh, so this is, when I say the original, I mean the earliest version we were able to find on the internet that dates back to just weeks after this plane went missing. In this slow-mo, you can actually see the orbs converge on the plane. You know, and this is the part two, which is just, you know, how would someone even think to fake this? You'd have to have a better understanding of physics than most PhDs that are out there. You can see these, I'm calling them the monopoles, which is what, uh, from talking to Bob Greenier, who's worked in low power nuclear reactions, says that they're beginning to orient towards the center, all three of them simultaneously. 
as if they're kind of focusing their electromagnetic beams on a single point, which is inducing the singularity that we see. So what's happening to the plane here is it's undergoing a macroscopic phase conjugation, which is an alignment of the wave functions, essentially, of the of the atoms of the plane, if you want to think of it that way. The other way it's been described to me is that the electrons are being broken apart from their equilibrium around the plane and created a matter wave, an uh, electro uh, uh, macroscopic quantum coherence of the uh, electrons themselves. Now, in this last frame, where is it? Let me oh, pause this. Yeah, that's the one right here. In this frame, you can see the plane blur. This is the final frame before this event uh, encompasses the entire plane. We can see the orbs warp here, and we can see the gravitational lensing effect where they're yeah. flattening because of the electromagnetic force that's being built up probably at the center of the plane here. And the blur would be indicative of an acceleration that's happening to the plane. Like if you were trying to take a picture of somebody running real quick. Right. Um, and so, it's already, it's already uh, you know, going probably, what, 500, 600 miles per hour? Uh, probably not quite that fast because it's turning. So like if you're in oh, your true. car and you have to slow down. So right. it's been mapped out to be about 200 miles an hour or something like that when it's okay. turning. Now, if it's straightened out, it could speed up a little bit. But I think the big key point is that if you look at the frame right beforehand, um, I'm not sure why it's not doing that. But if you look at the frame right beforehand, it's completely clear. And in fact, it doesn't look like it gets colder, it seems like, as well. Yeah. yeah like all of a sudden, the, the yeah, exactly. And the uh, yellow goes away. And all of a sudden, it's just green. It actually gets a little bit smaller. Yep. Because what we think is required in order to move at the speed of light is you have to get your mass down to zero. The more mass you have, the more energy it takes to speed up as you approach the speed of light. But if you can reduce your mass to exactly zero, which would be removing the object entirely from space-time, the same way these orbs, we see these non-radiating boundaries, we think that they've removed themselves from space-time, they're causing the same effect to the entire plane itself. And that's part of the reason why we think that we see this mass reduction, where in the final frame, once again, when it gets to blurred, it actually shrinks a tiny little bit. It gets a little bit smaller in this frame as well than it was in the previous frame. Now, we're not talking about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids getting smaller, but uh, we're talking about a situation where this uh, electromagnetic force that they're creating is beginning to uh, encompass the plane, perhaps amplify, and then we get the point where the forces, uh, if I'm going to quote Bob Green here, I think it's that the four forces begin to unify and then the singularity gets formed, essentially. Now, and the singularity... Go ahead. Uh, yeah, a singularity would that be uh, equivalent to a black hole, or or a, it's a similar worm, wormhole? But, yeah, and that's why like a lot of science ends up being down to the terminology used, the syntax that you use to help explain it to people. So that's why I'm trying to be very careful about the syntax that I use based on the engineers and scientists that I've talked to, because it's probably equivalent to what we would expect from a wormhole. The way it was described to me when I was talking to Dave Rossi one of the uh, most intelligent young minds that I've ever spoken to is that there's most likely a fourth orb. The fourth orb is somewhere else. And the fourth orb is entangled to these orbs. So what's happening here is that this plane is being um, sped up and moved towards the fourth orb, which doesn't have to be in the direction of travel of the plane. It could be somewhere else. It could be over on an island somewhere. And this could even be a situation where the plane may come out and it may not even be adhering to the conservation of momentum anymore because of the deceleration effect that this can apply or acceleration effect. 
Um, so, so it would it would arrive on the other end of the wormhole. It could actually be going zero miles per hour. That's what I've been told. Yeah, which is pretty amazing because I thought that it would have to adhere to the conservation momentum, meaning that it would really need to show up somewhere in the sky where it can keep flying. Right. But if it can be stopped entirely, then you could almost even just set it down somewhere. My That's guess from wild. looking at this, though, is that it, <laughs> yeah, it's wild, man. The implications of this technology are what scares me the most about this entire situation. Um, I don't think you're going to be able to set it right on the ground because the, I don't think the landing gear is down here. Um, sure. You're, you're going to have to have a situation where it's probably going to start to be in the sky, but you could, yeah, slow it down. Some people, a physicist uh, named Roy D. Herbert even argued with me that it could be stuck in superposition, which would mean that you could basically keep this thing stuck in, think of it as like four-dimensional space and then have it appear at a later time of your choosing. Which wow. is kind of goes to the whole like uh, what is that manifest show or something I think yeah, that people yeah, talk yeah. about all the time where the plane shows up in the future. What so, I want to say on that front is time dilation is real. So a lot of people don't understand that time dilation is real from the movie Interstellar, and what that means is that the more mass that you are next to, the slower your rate of time flows, and the less mass you're near, then the faster your rate of time flows. And this has so been if you, if you go into outer space, that this is why you come back and like people are older than you are is that how it works that is correct so and the way it happens in the movie interstellar is that matthew mcconaughey and hathaway go to a planet that's right near a black hole where black holes have a huge amount of mass and they go from a satellite to the planet they're supposed to only be there for a couple minutes due to the time dilation effect they get end up getting stuck there for a couple hours now they go back to the space station and the guy in the space station's aged 20 years right because there's so much more mass near. And that's an extreme example. But if you even go and orbit the Earth, then your time is moving faster than if your time would be when you're near the surface of the Earth. Sure. And the reason why we don't perceive this is because we're all on the Earth, same, you know, on the outer surface of the Earth, uh, which is a round object, very fairly uniform. Um, so, yeah, time dilation is real. And that's very important to understand because what would happen here for the people on board this plane is. There's going to be a time dilation effect for them. For them, their time will go instantly. They're going to appear wherever they show up instantaneously. But for the people that are the observers, us, for example, there could be a huge amount of time that passes uh, depending on how far they travel. If they were to like spin around the Earth like 100 times, then they might show up in the future at some point. If they only go a very short distance, then their time dilation may be only a second or two. Right. Wow. Oh, I, I had an a important question. I, I don't know sure. if I've heard you answer anywhere. Um, based off of what you said about these these clouds and the, you know, the height at which they develop, you believe that this plane is, I think, I think you said under 10,000 feet, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's also based on a witness who is somewhere in the water near here, who saw this plane starting very low, much below cruising altitude and sees it descending as well. She sees a glowing orange. And that's uh, indicative of the plane having been on fire and then fighting the lithium-ion battery fire for over an hour with the halon fire extinguishing gas. Um, that halon fire extinguishing gas can release bromine, which is a halogen, which would have caused the plane to have this orange glow that she sees. Interesting. Uh, the The reason I ask is because, you know, based off of the uh, communications with traffic control. It, it mm -hmm. seems as if they didn't receive anything from them past when they were still at 30,000 feet. So 
I don't understand why, if you're dealing with a fire, that you wouldn't be communicating and and updating traffic control that hey, we're we're descending, mm-hmm. we have an emergency, blah blah blah. Did any of that happen? I think that there was. We know there was a communication after 1721. So at 1721, this plane goes dark here, right here where we see it. This is where Mike McKay sees it on fire, low on the horizon from his uh, oil rig 300 miles away, which is at the maximum distance you can see a plane at cruising altitude. And he sees it very low on the horizon. This is probably why his sighting got misreported as him seeing it crash. Because from his perspective, it's going to look like it's just, just over the water on the horizon. In reality, it's at cruising altitude. He sees the fire go out after 10, five to 10 seconds. Now, at this point, you're in an emergency scenario. Uh, according to the Wired article, this is the port part where the pilots begin to pull the buses, which would make the plane go dark. And they're trying to find the circuit that would be damaged at this point. 10 minutes later, 1730 UTC, there is a communication. Communication to another 7-7 pilot who's flying to Tokyo. He doesn't want to be named, probably because he didn't want to have his career ruined, like happened to Mike McKay, where he got he got lost his job, had his whole life ruined. But he heard the pilot or the co-pilot and a bunch of static. So there was a communication supposedly at 1730 UTC. At the exact same time, there is eight fishermen on a boat who are see the plane flying low. And this is the middle of the night. This is 121 a.m. local time. So it's dark. You see a jumbo jet flying pretty low, probably around 10,000 feet. And the reason for that would be that the explosion from the lithium ion batteries would have depressurized the plane. And that would have mean that in order to keep the passengers alive, you need to fly low enough to give them enough oxygen. Right. The same time that Mike McKay sees this fire, there's nine people who report along the coast, nine of them on these different villages along the coast, loud noises, which again is going to be consistent with an explosion of the lithium ion batteries, 500 pounds of them in the cargo bay. Wow. Tons of lithium ion batteries. So then this plane is flying over Malaysia. This is from the military radar, which they obfuscated for days after the event. They had a search in the South China Sea, even though they had radar footage that shows it going back across Malaysia and out here, the Nicobar Islands. Very unusual. Why would you hide that? Right. The Malaysian Minister of Defense gives it away. Seven weeks later, he does an interview with an Australian uh, broadcaster. And they do a sit-down interview, sketchiest interview I've ever seen in my whole life. And I've seen a lot of liars. He says that the plane was unidentified. But then when he's asked about why they didn't send up jets, which is a very controversial thing, like if you have this plane, it could be hijacked. Why are you not sending jets up? Sure. Uh, He says, well, why would we send up jets for a civilian airliner that's not hostile? They knew that it's a civilian airliner. They know it's not hostile. How could they possibly know that? If it's it's pilot, it's hostile. Exactly. It could be hijacked. If the pilot is suiciding the plane, right, then it's theoretically hostile. The only way you can know it's not hostile is if you have communication with the plane. And the only reason why you wouldn't send up jets, again, is because you have communication with the plane. The interview comes back at her and says, well, because he says, well, why would we send up jets to shoot it down? And she goes, well, no, to follow the plane, right? right. If, you, if you want tracking it, aren't you going to follow it, right? Which would be the logical course of action. To me, this shows that the U.S. military had already taken control of the situation. Hmm. The only reason why Malaysia wouldn't set up jets is because the U.S. military said, we got this, we're taking control of this, leave your jets on the ground. Now, Is that, is that what the drone footage is? is, is the drone the... is a U.S. General Atomics MQ-1C Grey Eagle. Some people have speculated, speculated that it could be an MQ-9C Grey Eagle. 
but the only pictures that we can find that has the cameras underneath the wings like that is of an MQ-1C Gray Eagle. And if you were to Google SIGINT payload, which is the signals intelligence system that connects the drones to the satellites, to the AWACS, the very top hit is MQ-1C Gray Eagle. So, so yeah. Okay. No, go ahead. So what I was going to say is that the plane doesn't land at Penang. It also goes directly to the closest airport that has a not long enough runway to handle a 777 in an emergency situation, Penang Langkawi International Airport. It's actually slightly closer than Kuala Lumpur, and the elevation change is better, especially if you have to fly low. Um, what has been speculated as to why it doesn't land here, there's several possible reasons. Landing gear could be damaged. The these uh, in like third world countries like this, they don't generally keep the runway lights on, especially if this is 1.52 a.m. There would not be any expected uh, planes landing at this point. So it could be possible that the landing, the runway land, lights were not on. And if the runway lights are not on, you try to land, it's going to be devastated, especially in the middle of the night with no light at all. Um, the other thing might be that because the plane could be filled with fuel, unless they dumped the fuel, the next thing you're supposed to do if you don't have landing gear is try to land on your belly, but the plane would explode if you try to do that. So they may have just deemed it to be too risky. Um, okay. So Makes then sense. what they do is they go off into the ocean. And I would have argued that they should try to land right near the right near the coast here. But you really need to have people there around you right away to um, an emergency situation because this plane is going to rip apart if it go, if it lands in the ocean, even on controlled descent. We were looking at a video, which I don't think I have it handy, but people can find it out there where there's a plane that tries to land in the ocean, even near the coast. And the plane just the moment the wing hits the water, plane just rips apart, starts to do spiral and into a million different pieces. Right. So yeah. even on a controlled descent, this plane is going to leave a debris field that's huge. And, and so, debris field, which was never found. Uh, if you could pause for one second. Sure. I, I, first off, Ian Crossland, welcome aboard, sir. Uh, Hi, Clint. Hey. <laughs> uh, hey, I, I knew, Ashton, good I knew, to see you. Yeah, you yeah, too, sir. I, I knew this would be an interesting addition. Uh, Ian's always an outside-the-box thinker, so I thought he would he would help us with, with exploring uh, our theses here. So um, yeah. the first off, I guess the implication of what you're saying is that they probably were, were communicating with traffic control and that was expunged from the record somehow or classified. So interestingly enough, and I, I probably should stop saying that because people have been making fun of me for saying that phrase over and over again, but there's a lot of interesting <laughs> this, things. In this, this is case. all interesting. Just yeah, keep right? saying it. Um, so there's two things. First, if you look at the official communications the day after they say that they lost uh, contact, Subang air traffic control lost contact with Malaysian Airlines at 1840 UTC. That's the original time. That time is not what they said five days later, where Malaysian military says around 1822. 1840 puts it at the location where our videos happen, where we see this boat. That's the witness that we see, who I mentioned that is somewhere near in the water there. It puts it at the exact location and time of our videos happening, 1840 UTC. They changed that later on. China right. hacked Malaysia the next day as well. They said a state-sponsored, sophisticated social engineering hack. They stole classified documents related to MH370 and the crisis minute meetings or meeting minutes as well. The only reason I can think that they would even do that is they knew something else happened, right? And they're trying to figure out, okay, what's the cover up, right? They probably knew right away that this plane did not crash into the ocean. And that's the only reason why I could think they would hack um, Malaysia. They also released some satellite pictures, which I was dismissing before because I thought 
They were claimed to be in the South China Sea, somewhere over here to the east. But I have a feeling now that that was spycraft and that the reports of claiming to be the South China Sea may be deceptive. And they might actually have been able to see in low resolution what the United States government was doing to the plane over here near the boat in the Andaman Sea. And that they released that footage and they were just saying, hey, we know what you did. Because the only people that would understand that message would be the people that did it, right? Everybody else would just go, oh. And they, they thought it was debris. And we go, look, we don't find any debris in the South China Sea. Well, and and that, that image looks like three orbs. Mm, and it's, yeah. like, it's just like, hey, we saw it. Exactly. <laughs> like, like that's, it's, yeah, it's yeah. just, I don't know. It's but, not, it's clearly it's clearly not a debris field for the mm-hmm. plane if it were to have broken up. So it just didn't it didn't add up to me at all. Um, all right. So do we have any idea what set these batteries off in the cargo hull? So we've been speculating, but we're probably not going to be able to know for sure. Some people say it could be condensation from these mangosteens, but other people say these aren't even mangosteens. There's like four thousand pounds of mangosteens in this plane supposedly that are out of season. Um, I, Sorry, t- I spoke ma- to mangosteens. Yeah, it's Not like funny. a fruit. It's like like uh, I guess it must be like the mango with the like uh, kind of stalk on it or something like oh, that. Okay. It looks like this. Yeah, this fruit. Um, it could be that. I think the other thing, the most common reason for lithium ion batteries, I've talked to several experts, is that they have defects in them and that there's, they were to be defective when they were put together. And then interesting. Um, okay, I'm not going to say that my phrase, but another aspect of this is that. The lithium ion batteries were put together that same day, according to the ATSB official report, which is the Australian Transit Safety Bureau. We looked at the images of it. These things look extremely sketchy. It's like they just stacked two batteries together. They put some ceramic over them, and then they put them into cardboard boxes and just stacked them all together. So if even one of these has a defect and starts to light up, the whole works is just going to go off. It seems like that would be against, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a libertarian, so I don't often talk about regulations, but it yeah. seems like it, it would be against regulations to put lithium ion batteries in the cargo hull of a yeah. domestic, you know, 240 passenger flight. Funny you mentioned that in 2015, the FAA passed that rule one year after this <laughs> and is no longer allowed. Turns out I Google it and I'm realizing, wow, there's like five public incidences where these planes either were completely destroyed or where they were severely damaged and many people died from these being in cargo bays. Wow. And because of the danger to passengers, they're no longer allowed after 2015. When you go to the airport, next time you go and check your bag, they will ask you if you have any lithium ion batteries in your checked bags because of this exact fear that something might be happening in the cargo bay. No one's looking, right? No right. one's down there watching it. Yeah, even and- after this happened, there's more than one per week, even up in the passenger area of lithium ion batteries starting on fire. Just this year alone, it's like 65 incidents in the United States alone. Yeah. It's a so, huge amount. Yeah. So that, that is probably what we see here. Um, all right. So essentially the, the pilots I've already, I've already dismissed the claim that this was some sort of pilot suicide. I think that's nonsense based off of the research yeah. you've done. Um, it seems as if they are communicating as, as normal, the last communications that we know about they say something like good night and and then when, like what's the what's the time gap between them yeah. the communication and the the plane vanishing yeah so 1719 is when they say good night malaysian airlines flight 370 and there's no alarms going off 64 seconds later plane goes completely dark so presumably what happens is these batteries explode 
at that point, somewhere in that 64 seconds. They probably already were smoking, but not enough to set off the smoke alarm to system at that point. And then this explosion happens, and then this is where the pilot starts pulling the buses, and the plane goes dark. And that's where now the what's, communication... What's pulling the buses mean? If you read, there's a Wired article out there. If you Google Wired uh, MH370, but it's essentially like resetting the computer system to try to figure out what circuit may have been damaged by the fire. The Wired article actually argued that a, uh, an electrical fire would be the cause. And I think that if you would propose to that writer that lithium-ion battery fire, they would say, oh, that makes way more sense than the electrical fire scenario. Because in the electrical know, fire scenario... They didn't know what was in the storage. Yeah, potentially, right? They didn't know till later. Um, we just didn't know the dangers of these lithium-ion batteries back then. Like now sure. in 2023, I think people go, oh, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. But back then, we just didn't realize how dangerous they were. So it uh, comes down to, to 10,000 feet because it's trying to emergency land. Uh, it's. Do we know why it's turning? Is it trying to go back to that that airport? I think it's turning in our video because it's trying to land in the ocean. So okay. in order just to get those communication where it said goodnight MH370, the, the families were going nuts in terms of why they weren't releasing any information. And then supposedly the government had to force somebody to release that information alone which to me says they chopped it up and said, we're just going to give you this. There's almost no way that was the last communication to the to, that was out there, right? Even the lithium-ion battery fires are not going to probably be able to take out communications like that. So I think there had to be additional communications. It makes sense that China would be hacking and trying to steal classified information because they're trying to steal the communication data and the other stuff that might be out there. Um, when it's turning, what's happening is it's trying to land. So if you're trying to land over the ocean, you're not going to land straight down like you are on a runway you're going to spin around and go in a spiral and you're going to descend that way. And then when you get near the bottom, then you're going to even out and then you're going to land in the ocean. There's an intercepted Chinese news only communication, supposedly from MH370 at 2.43 a.m., which if you convert that to Malaysian time is 18.43 UTC within three minutes of when we think our videos are happening. That is supposedly from MH370 claiming that the plane is disintegrating and attempting an emergency landing. I remember hearing about this back in 2014, just thinking nothing of it. Like, okay, that's just, like we had all these puzzle pieces, but none of it really made any sense. And then when we see the video, all of a sudden everything comes into focus, mm -hmm. you know, as, especially as the course of the investigation has progressed. And we, you know, I, the first thing I found was the, the witness. After we found the satellite, we said, oh, it's USA 229. We looked at the coordinates. We realized it wasn't the South Indian Ocean, which I have originally thought all the official data must be legit. And we said, oh, well, there's no minus sign there. It has to be the Nicobar Islands. And then we find the witness there. Then we find the glowing orange plane. Then we figure out, oh, that's because of a fire from the bromine halogen gas. And then you figure out all the other witnesses also saw it. And you're like, wait, how did all these witnesses get discredited from this mundane fire event, right? Like. Why are we covering up a fire event? But then right. you realize, oh, wow, it's because of the technology we see in the videos. That puts it all together, right? Well, it has to be something to huge. You, yeah, have you have to, to right? You have to hide point. it. Because you're using a technology that not only no, no human on earth, much less any of the other enemy governments uh, are you know, privy to us possessing. I think, you know, for, for the audience's sake, uh, and by the way, Ian, just hop in whenever you have questions, yeah. man. Um, it seems to me that you know the the reason that we're so confident, or at least I'm so confident, I'll speak for myself, as to this being a, a U.S. government operation is because you have these are are do we know that these are U.S. satellites and and U.S. drone? 
Yeah. yeah. The U.S. satellite so, is USA-229, which is a spy satellite, naval ocean surveillance satellite. Its whole purpose is tracking planes. It's like, and it's sitting right there over the Nicobar Islands at 1840 UTC. I'll just pull it up because it's, I, I mean, this stuff even blows me away. This is why I don't mind sharing and repeating a lot of the same stuff over and over is because I could have never imagined we'd be in a situation where we have this much evidence. We were able to recreate this from amateur trajectories that are available on the internet because people tracked all the satellites. And you can see in the top of the screen, the time. Look at us approaching 1840 UTC right now. And this is going much faster than they would really be moving. Sure. We're staring down right at our coordinates right down here. And we think that these satellites can uh, scan a much bigger area than this is scanning. And what's happening is these satellites are sending the data to the Cibber system, which is the space-based infrared system, which is building this Google battlefield awareness map. And the whole point that the whole way you could prove that as well is if, if this satellite is just pointing down at an area, you wouldn't need to have coordinates that move around like we see in our satellite video. When they move the perspective in the satellite video, the coordinates change. That, that tells us that what's happening is this person is moving around on a Google Earth, right? And they're looking around at different areas in the Google Earth. If they were looking at the satellite at a specific point, you wouldn't be able to move it around. The satellite's going to be staring at one specific spot. Um, so if you look at the, the Cibber system, this and this, I can't believe this is actually on the internet. This is why Kim.com posted it. Look at this. This so these are the geostationary satellites that are further out here. Look at this scanning. It's scanning the whole world simultaneously. This is real-time persistent global surveillance. This is real, this is just full video 3D playback of anything you want. And this doesn't even show our low Earth orbit satellites, our USA 229s, which would be very close to the Earth. These ones that are far out here are these geostationary ones. They're 40,000 kilometers away. They potentially have Hubble telescopes on them. The ones that are wow. closer are USA 229, our satellite pairs. They're only 1,000 kilometers away. They're 40 times closer than these ones that are further out. So that's how we're able to get the super high resolution infrared imagery is that we've got these very low Earth orbit satellites. Um, so that, that's what we see this footage is from one of those, correct? So, yeah. So really what we're looking at is we're looking at this Google Earth playback that can take this stuff in real time and produce like a Google Earth. Like a, it's a computer program, right? Pulling the data down. And it can then also uh, show it in a false color IR. But so if we go back Google, to this. It's Google Earth with video, though, correct? Exactly, with video. Just, yeah, and that's, that's why crazy. it's six frames per second, because it's a huge field of view that this user has cropped. And so they're able to see something much bigger than this, but they've cropped it out, which is why we don't see the drone. They didn't want to give away U.S. intelligence. They probably, I, we've even speculated now that the person that filmed this may not even known that it was our technology. They maybe thought they were looking at UFOs and they were leaking a UFO video to the world. So they didn't think I they mean, were damaging anything. That, right? that is where they, they dumped the info was to a message board. Exactly. For UFOs. And the yeah. video is called airline or satellite video, airliner and UFOs. Doesn't even say MH370 in it. So is is the theory right now that there's a bunch of semiconductor scientists on board foreign and that the US deployed some sort of high tech interference weaponry that lit up the lithium ion and then put this thing under some sort of distortion field while it crashed so you couldn't see it crashing? Not so much that, but because this if we go back to the uh the animation of the flight path here, you can see that this plane, even after it goes dark, flies for an hour and twenty minutes until it gets to our satellite coordinates. So there is mystery here, which is do these lithium ion batteries just light up by themselves 
or is there some type of espionage thing at play here? And I can't say for sure one way or another. It seems a little too complicated to light up the lithium-ion batteries and then force the plane all the way over here to the Nicobar Islands in order to accomplish this feat. You know, if you were going to do that, my thought would be you would just do it in the South China Sea. But maybe the assets are over here in the Nicobar Islands, and that's why you have to do it. But um, the reason why we don't think the plane crashed anywhere is there's no debris field anywhere. The official search finds nothing. And the official search searched with 42 planes and 39 boats from 13 different countries. They, early on, are searching over here in the South China Sea, find nothing at all. And then they also begin the search a few days later over here in the Nicobar Islands area. And then around uh, May 13th, they move that search down to the, to, uh, the South Indian Ocean. And they find nothing. The whole the official search after four, three years finds nothing. They, some debris washes up and a random guy finds some. But the motive here then is, in my opinion, has to be about these scientists. And we found information about the scientists that I never would have dreamed we'd be able to find. So 20 freescale semiconductor scientists and engineers. They're 20 people from the same company flying on the same plane. It breaks every company policy that I've ever heard of. Usually it's like three people that you can have from the same company just for situations like this in case a plane goes missing. You feeling seasick? Yeah, me too. The stock market volatility has been a nightmare. UBS shows that private assets like fine art can help diversify with a low correlation to stocks. Bloomberg reports art prices increased in 2022 with the highest total sales ever for major auction houses. In 23, the art market has passed its pre-pandemic levels. Tens of thousands of everyday investors already use today's sponsor, Masterworks, to invest in art. You don't need millions of dollars or art expertise. Every Masterworks sale to date has delivered a positive return to their investors, including annualized net returns of 10, 17, and even 35% all this year. Masterworks' most recent exit was just days ago at the end of August for a double-digit 13.4% annualized net return. My listeners get special access to skip the waitlist. Just go to masterworks.art slash lockdown. Past performance doesn't guarantee future returns. Any investing involves risk, including loss of principal. See important disclosures at masterworks.com slash cd. Again, that's masterworks.art slash lockdown. Check it out. Uh, they were actually going to upgrade the plants in China was the official rationale. Eight of them were Chinese nationals, 12 were Malaysian nationals, but they're working for the U.S. company, Freescale Semiconductors. This plane was likely doomed. So if it lands in the ocean, it's probably going to rip apart. And many Chinese nationals, especially mainland Chinese nationals, don't learn how to swim. There was about 70% of the people on board this plane were Chinese nationals. Uh, it's also the middle of the night. There's no light whatsoever. Kate T can only see the plane glowing because it's pitch black. And so that the, the glow would stand out from the pitch black night. Uh, there's a 2005 NSA, National Security Agency, report on commercial emergence of superconductivity development of uh, semiconductor microchips in terms of them approaching superconductivity. That talks about freescale semiconductors and their products nine different times in this report. And it even says in the report that it would be available by 2010 to 2012, but only if the government supplies funding to the company. And then we also found this thing that said freescale semiconductor launched a major initiative dedicated to serving RF power needs for U.S. aerospace and defense sector. So the idea here is that these people on board were probably high value intellectual property that were either connected directly to this technology, meaning that we are either trying to prevent this IP from getting to China, if you think of the espionage scenario like Ian just laid out, 
or we're trying to prevent the loss of that intellectual property because we don't want to lose the these what these people can develop. Um, or the last possibility I think that makes a lot of sense would be some type of test where it's like this isn't proven, but this plane is doomed anyway. Let's see if we can save these people or not. Right? We're we're gonna pull out the you know the envelope at the bottom of the pile and who knows? Because a lot of this, if you think about a lithium-ion battery fire plane getting depressurized, pilots trying to fly low to give people enough oxygen. I'm not even convinced everybody's alive when we deploy this technology at this point. You know, I think that it's, I, I would be surprised if everyone's still alive. And then how to survive this, you know, people have speculated. I've read scientific papers about wormholes where you can create a double-sided electromagnetic field that can allow for the people on the inside of the field to not experience the inertial effect of the you know speed of light travel. Um, while on the outside, you can then have the whole object still moving at this very high rate of speed. But to think that like this has all been proven technology, that's it's it's hard. I mean, I even struggle with a lot of this. Like a warp drive, like a cavitation where you like cavitate the space in front of the system to create like a a, a vacuum to pull it forward. Um, I think you can actually create a warp bubble. But I, I, I'm with you. I've never you, seen any evidence that dude, it's been. Actually, you got to show Ian the the orbs and how they have the. It, what looks like gravitational pull that's dragging. Yeah, them. I think we got to show you that because you just said something that basically Dave Rossi told me, um, which let me go to the slow-mo versions of it up here. I was talking to Dave Rossi, a defense contractor who works in advanced propulsion, and he said he thinks there's a fourth orb. Oh, let me share my screen. And the fourth orb would be um, uh, entangled to the other three so that when this cavitation, so to speak, as you, as you eloquently put it happens that these are the plane is essentially getting pulled towards the fourth orb and it could be pulled in any direction so when you see here as they begin to converge this is where it's causing the singularity is that they converge and this is causing the singularity to happen here in the final frame you're going to see a blur see the plane blur here you see the orbs begin to flatten out like there's a gravitational lensing effect happening and then in the very next frame poof the whole and plane is just the fact, gone. The fact that it's black, you said it's a, uh, what'd you, what'd you phrase it? A thermo. Yeah. So it's a cold event that we're seeing here, an endothermic event. Endothermic. So it's an absorption of energy, which so we my, also. My, my yeah, question for you was, was it, it, it's clearly colder than the night sky. Uh, so do yeah. we have any, do we have any idea in terms of scaling based off of the, the color as to like how cold it was? We can't know the custom settings that they the uh, leaker used on the camera because they can set those whatever they want. We just know it's at maximum cold here. That when we see this, okay. because it's black, it's the maximum possible cold setting that the camera has got relative to the settings they put on it. Yep. Um, because they can put whatever they want. Now we can get some estimate because we can see the engine heat, right, which seems pretty hot in some of these, but. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, it, that is required for electrons to couple to create this matter wave that's required here for this macroscopic uh, phase conjugation or macroscopic quantum coherence is very cold temperatures is that then they begin to self-organize. So you break the electrons apart from their equilibrium when they're in this state where they're surrounding the plane. And then what they do is if you get them to the right state, uh, which we think is what's happening with these orbs surrounding it, that's when they begin to cohere to this matter wave where they're now essentially turning the whole plane into an atom. And then the, the combined flow of the electrons is acting like electrons flowing around an atom, which is causing this macroscopic phase conjugation. The way Dave Rossi explained it is that the particles can either make love or they can fight. 
when they fight, you're creating an exothermic event, an explosion or release of energy. When you get them to make love, then you're getting them to cohere. That's when you get your endothermic event, this absorption of energy that we see here. Hmm. And so the, the scientists that are on board, um, I know that there's famous stories now about there being, I don't know if it's dozens, but many of the cell phones that were ringing. Oh, yeah. uh, do we know how many, I think you said it was five days after, is that correct? Yeah, so 19 passengers, or families of the passengers signed a statement, joint statement to the government. And they said they were able to call the cell phones for up to four days after the event. One of them even showed it on TV and said, here's the phone ringing as well. Now, CNN brought on some expert to say, oh, this is just it trying to connect to the old cell tower, which I think I would believe if it's just one or two. But 19 families doing it to me is like, this is odd. So I looked into it. The cell phone towers only extend out a few miles off the coast. Uh, the phone will die in salt water very quickly within, I think they, like 30 minutes or so it's going to die underwater, if not right. less. And if your phone is underneath just even a couple feet of water, it's not going to be able to get a radio frequency signal required or cell phone signal required. Yeah. So it would go straight to voicemail. Yeah. I mean, every time I've called somebody with their phone off, it goes straight to voicemail. I've never had it ring. So Maybe no. there's something there with international dialing, but I just yeah, really weird. I, I don't think so. And yeah. what, what that strikes me of, though, is like, so uh, the operating thesis is essentially that this is like a, um, I don't know, it's a recovery mission for these people or like you're trying to save them theoretically. Uh, but the, the phones still ring. So that means that probably the phones were salvaged, but th these people have never been heard from, I assume. Are there any reports yeah. of these people being seen or you know anything there's one report which is i'm skeptical to even or you know hesitant to even throw it out there but in 2020 people started looking at the facebook page for diego garcia military base and they start matching pictures of people there to the crew to like every single crew member and some of them are closer than others like i don't want to say these are those people i really don't know in nine or eight years or however seven years would have gone by so there is something like that. Um, there was a Philip Wood, the American passenger. There's a, a picture out there that's semi-famous that was posted on 4chan, a black picture, along with an accompanying message saying that he was being held prisoner, that he felt like he had been drugged and couldn't think clearly. The black picture, when they looked at the EXIF data, pointed to Diego Garcia military base, which we've looked into it, is actually an old CIA black site for transporting prisoners. No shit. Um, where, where where is that located? On the Black Vault, I believe did a Freedom of Information Act request about it, and so there's yeah, it's CIA black site. I think you should be able to find it if you Google it for that. No, it's, I'm saying I'm saying oh, where sorry. is Diego Garcia? Oh, that's in the Indian Ocean actually, and this is actually the location where every conspiracy theory saw that thought it went here. The ones that said, oh, it got you know remote controlled over there. Uh, famous French author Mark Dugain speculated it went there and then supposedly intelligence talked to him and told him to stop looking kate hmm. t the witness on the boat in her 2008 blog post says that she thinks it went to diego garcia um there was also jim stone who is the one who actually initially made the philip wood picture popular also thought it went to diego garcia uh, i'm trying to think there was another guy as well i mean it's every time i look it's like diego garcia diego garcia you look yeah. into this base and it's like you cannot land there for commercial aircraft. The airspace around it and areas protected, it's like a natural reserve or something like that. We, the history of this base is extremely sketchy. We displaced all the natives from it, like 3,000 people 
killed all their pets, made them all leave the island. And there was this big human rights fiasco about it where they thought, well, these people should be able to come back to their natural home, et cetera. Um, this base from my sources have said that this base is Area 51 on steroids, that this place <laughs> is super secret. All right. Well, yeah. Then so, the orbs the plane, probably came from there. Go for it, Ian. Did the plane have enough fuel on board to get the thing through conventional flight to Diego Garcia? Theoretically, it seems like it had just enough to get there through conventional flight. It's about 1,500 miles away, I want to say. This plane, some reports say that they had an extra two hours of fuel on the plane, about eight hours of fuel. So it theoretically could have gotten there even through conventional flight, uh, which I think is a little bit suspicious. But our opinion is that they're moving this plane using this technology from one location to the other. The technology might be putting the fire out because these runaway lithium ion battery fires, the reason why they're so dangerous is the amount of stored energy in these batteries. So you put it out and then it starts lighting up again. You just can't keep it out. You can, you can keep it at bay, but you got to be actively like continually trying to put it out. So if it's an endothermic event, it could be absorbing the energy from the batteries. According to physicists that I've talked to, that is theoretically possible. Could it have given the observance that it was a fire, but in fact it was some sort of warp in the in the visual field that looked like heat? You mean in terms of the heat signature that we see in the yeah. thermal? I, I'm not sure about that heat signature. I keep looking into it, trying to figure it out. Like, why are we looking at this weird oblong kind of changing heat signature? I, I guess I can't rule it out because we do have these orbs circling around it already. Like, maybe there is some catalyst that's happening with the batteries. It's just really hard to speculate on those types of things. People have speculated, I mean, the, okay, maybe the smoke, there's something else there. The smoke is already happening before the orbs arrive, so that doesn't Yeah, that seem, part's true. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't seem like they would be the catalyst would be that fire internally. Um I I'm curious so so going back to the original thesis that these scientists are the assets that are trying to be saved. That would imply if you're going to use the technology that was created by the scientists that are aboard to try and save them from a plane that's on fire, you would have to know that this technology works. Otherwise, you're dooming them to death regardless. Um, so yeah. do you is there any is there any studies or leaks of examples of this technology actually being demonstrated at all? I mean, there's a lot of historical stuff. Uh, you could all go all the way back to the Philadelphia experiment if you want, but it doesn't go well for those guys. So there's like pictures of people stuck in the side of ships and stuff like that. Um, I, you know, I've really tried to just focus on this one case. I've never seen anything remotely as compelling with as much evidence, let alone like just two videos of the same event from different angles, right? Of course. No, and I think the, it's, the, yeah. the reason the reason I ask is because it's mm -hmm. like. Well, if you're going to use this technology, which is yeah. super top secret, you don't want to use it unless you absolutely have to. If you're if you're if you feel compelled to use it against all odds, well, then you must be confident that you can actually save these people. And yeah. and I don't have any idea why you would be confident, given that this is such a a incredible operation. If what we're seeing yeah. is what we're seeing. Um, I agree. So I'm just curious. Any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, like I said before, I think it's possible that it's not proven and this plane's already doomed. And so you might just be going, okay, let's give it our final shot. Right. But I would agree with you that I think this would have to be proven technology, um, because of the risk that goes along with it. Because, yeah. why you know, would if you somebody films this and leaks this, yeah, if somebody leaks this, like you're screwed, you know, people argue like, why are, if we have this, why are we not just taking control of the world? It, the world's a lot, geopolitics is a lot more complicated than that. And generally, if you're a person who plays card games, poker, et cetera, 
you keep your ace in the hole. You keep your, you know, your joker to the last moment until you have to use it. You don't want to reveal right. it until you need to, right? Well, so this, this is actually, uh, you actually mentioned this, I think it was on Lore Lodge or one of your other interviews you've done, um, where you said that this technology is probably already in effect for missile defense systems. And, you know, because what I do is I, I study a lot of geopolitics because I'm, you know, yeah. non-interventionist libertarian. And it, like, we never really risked, uh, you know, even a proxy war against a nuclear power until recently. And now all of a sudden we're like, yeah, let's let's fuck with China on Taiwan. Let's fuck with Russia on Ukraine. Like we don't care about nuclear war anymore, and and the implications from that for me have been horrifying because I've been like, well, we're all going to die. But if it's true that they have the capacity to to you know zap the nuclear arsenal as it arrives uh, out of existence, well, then I guess we don't have to worry about nuclear war anymore. Is there is there any? Have you thought about that? Uh, I think just like you, Clint, I'm glad we're having this conversation because I'm highly against all wars. I'm non-interventionist as well. And I've also been worried about, you know, we're we're really pushing the line here with some of these powers that have nuclear weapons, right? That could end everything if that goes off. And when I heard about, well, we can just annihilate these, any nuke, any missile, kind of like a light bulb went off. That was with my Bob Greener interview on Hard Truths number two where you realize, wow, we probably do have this super defense where we can just annihilate any weapon that were to come at us. Now, the fear of that would be if China and Russia have reverse engineered this technology, now they can teleport a nuke onto us, right? And now that yeah. perfect defense now doesn't become so perfect anymore, <laughs> right? Um, and that's part of the reason why I'm not as afraid about revealing this, because to be honest with you, I'm a patriot and I want to protect my country. Of course. Um, but if we were able to figure this out with a Twitter account and a group of, you would call it ragtag, but I would say volunteers who are uh, very <laughs> dedicated from looking at Google. There's no way that Russia and China have figured it out, this out. And if Russia and China hadn't figured this out somehow, if we're somehow revealing it to them, then they're so far behind that they don't have a chance anyway. Like that was nine <laughs> right. years ago, right? Like, um, so that's why I'm not as worried about it, but it does concern me. There are implications of this technology beyond ultimate defense which I'd like to just talk about real briefly because I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts on this as well. Stuff I want to bring up for everybody is some of the implications here. Interesting enough, I was just, and I just said it again, uh, my thing. Um, I was just listening to Tim Pool last night because my buddy uh, Brian Lupo was on there and he actually gave a shout out to me, which I was like, holy crap, I just got shouted out on Tim Pool. This is wild. Like, I'm just a normal <laughs> guy and this is just, you know, this has been a wild ride. But Tim oh, it's Pool about to talking, get a lot crazier, brother. Just strap I, in. I bet. <laughs> I bet. I'm ready for it, though. But Tim Pool is talking about faster than light communication. Like right there, he's talking about, oh, I've seen the DOD stuff. And we've got, you know, he just is blatantly speaking about faster than light communication, which I had already thought we might have had back in like 2008 with the Curiosity rover. I was starting to speculate we might have some stuff, but I didn't think it would get this wild. But if you just extrapolate that, you can very quickly get to teleportation because teleportation is just that or uh, faster than light communication is just quantum entanglement and quantum teleportation. And you just scale that up to macro. And right. now you if have you can do it with data, then you can do it with, uh, you know, vehicles. Yeah. Realistically, mo movement itself isn't we look at it as like going from here to here. But in reality, it's appearing in place over and over and over again rapidly. So if you appear in place in a new place, you've could you could call it super acceleration. You might call it teleportation. So you get it, Ian, I think, is that that's really what this is done. Like teleportation is even a crude term for it because it's really just super advanced acceleration, faster than the camera can pick up. And now it's in this other location. 
uh, so quickly, it's even faster than the speed of light. You know, that's what non-locality, quantum entanglement, quantum teleportation really stands for. So but if you have, have to be, it would have to be encased in some sort of protection so that it doesn't. That's the tricky part, right? Is how do you encase it so that people can survive, that the plane doesn't rip apart, right, from the forces? But we're looking at the orbs doing that right away, right? We're seeing the non-radiant barrier around these orbs. It's not a metal ball that we're looking at. There's something much smaller in there creating this field around it, like a bubble. Um, mm -hmm. If you could, if you could actually pull up the footage of those orbs where it has the black. Yeah. Uh, where you you describe how it's actually being dragged forward by oh yeah uh, yeah you know, the That's gravitational well essentially uh, which I think it was I don't know if it the was geodesics or... is the 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 term for it that we're using yeah because I think uh, we want to use our scientific terms so that we can reach our academics out there but you can very <laughs> clearly this is the stripped thermal version we've edited this version to strip out the thermal as best we could and in this you can very clearly see these I call them train tracks pulling the orbs forward here. I mean, it just, it looks so bizarre just to watch it happen. And so even yeah. though just for the audience's sake, so I can explain in layman's terms, essentially what, what we think we're seeing here is that it's creating a gravity well in front of the orb. The reason that you see the trail is it's still a cold trail though, right? Yeah, it's still a cold not... trail. And that's yeah, just that's where so it used fucking, to be, that's... right? Yeah. I, you know, you talk about how it's just very hard for people to accept this because it's so, yeah. it's so alien to us in terms of like what we think technology, what the level of human technology, mm -hmm. like where the apex is. And this is such a like literal quantum leap into yeah. the future technologically that it's very hard. It, what, what I've, what I've dealt with a lot lately is like, I'm disturbed by how much I'm accepting your <laughs> version of events. I'm like, I'm like, why am I, why am I believing this? This seems so far fetched, but like, but when, after you describe, you know, the fact that there's these there's multiple surveillance tools, all U.S. derived, that are are surveilling this particular event simultaneously. There's this massive cover up. Um, it, it just it just adds up to like this is fucking real, folks. Like I, I like that's the only conclusion I can come to. And I know that makes me sound like a crazy person, but like it it honestly strikes me that this is probably real. Yeah, I kind of get the vibe that I mean, I all in the back of my head, I'm like, it could be fake. The videos could be fake. So I've got, always got to hold that as a card in my hand in case. But also from what I've learned about uh, anti-gravity or, or advanced propulsion is that you do create cavitation in front of the momentum to produce momentum. You're pulling it and it's, it, these images indicate that it's being pulled towards some sort of disturbance. But I mean, maybe the scientists that doctored the footage knew that and was like, "Ooh, we'll really get the deep thinkers to agree." Yeah, I don't keep, know. Keep in mind, though, Ian, this this footage is from 2014, so this is yeah. like, it's just a it's a level of fake that I don't think, I like honestly, I just think it would be so hard for them to to have thrown in all of these physics mm -hmm. Easter eggs <laughs> that would like actually make this plausible. Um, but if you if you have a deep understanding of theoretical physics as well as a deep understanding of, you know, CGI, I guess theoretically you could, um, but it, it would be, well, you said that the, the footage was released within, was it a week or so of, of image? Yeah, so let me, I'll run through the requirements and then maybe we can go back to some of the implications after that, because um, I think that the only way it would even make sense to be fake, given these huge amount of requirements is somehow the U S government would have had to fake this the problem with that is it doesn't make any sense for them faking it. Like, what are they trying to get people to believe that, aliens stole the plane like we never found a plane nine years later so i think most people would just look at it and go oh well this proves the u.s governs behind whatever really happened to the plane right but here's the requirements um if you believe the description that says received march 12th 2014 
on the regicide and non-version, which we believe is the oldest one we can find out there, then you only have four days to make the video. If you believe the published date, which is the date that it supposedly was, you know, they hit publish on YouTube, then you have 72 days. That's March, May 19th. There's no reference copy to copy from. We've been able to find nothing that is similar to this. So in terms of deep fakes, you know, usually you take some background thing and you fake somebody's face over it, right? Nothing like that. You have to know how to create these realistic volumetric clouds that are perfect. The how to accurately animate the cameras, how the clouds look and form at low altitudes. We see these cumulus clouds, how to accurately light them because the zap that we see accurately illuminates the clouds in the foreground and in the background. You have to know exactly what MH370 looks like, what the turn radius of a Boeing 777 is at a certain altitude while in descent because it's maxing out the capabilities that we see, where the plane would have been at the exact time in the Nicobar Islands based on the coordinates how to accurately shift the coordinates because the coordinates have five decimal places that we see there. And the perspective changes eight times. We can see the coordinates change six of those eight times. You'd have to know how to animate the coordinate shifts, what the weather looked like. We looked at the weather, the weather matches in the location within one hour as well. How to accurately create the smoke trailing the plane using particles in two different videos, what the thermal would look like to an ex level that would fool the experts how to animate the heat signature that we think is coming from the AC units that kind of changes the one we were talking about previously in the thermal. Knowledge of military classified systems unknown to the public, especially the satellite thing. No one had any idea. Mil you'd have to know that the military is using a Citrix environment because we see a mouse in the, in the satellite video. And that has 24 frames per second, but the background is six frames per second, indicating they're logged into a Citrix session, cropping the screen, filming the real database. You'd have to know that frame rate discrepancy. You have to know what kind of mouse they use because there's a very specific acceleration happening when they move the screen around. That is like if you were to use either like a roll pad or like one of those touchpad things that's in the middle of the laptops. Um, you'd also have to know what satellites are in operation and what their payload is because the original regicide and non-footage is looks like side by side, but it's actually stereoscopic. So USA-229 is two satellites as we saw in that flyover. So that is one of the few satellites that would have been able to take stereoscopic 3D footage like that. You'd have to know what the false color IR looks like. The reason why the satellite footage shows a white zap is because this was at a false color IR at nighttime, not during the daytime. So they've changed the color so that it is easier for people to see. How to create that 3D stereoscopic imagery that I just spoke about, how to animate the orbs, including that particle system that we just saw, this, this forward-facing cavitation gravitational engine that according to Salvatore Pius's paper is a high frequency gravitational wave generator. Um, how to animate the final frames where the orbs flatten with that gravitational lensing and the plane blurs. You'd have to know what the MQ-1C Gray Eagle drone looks like, what its payload is, where I've only found one picture that shows the cameras on the wings. You'd have to know where that payload is to, in order to get the exact camera angle that we see. You need better visual effects uh, skills than the lead VFX artist of Top Gun Maverick who posted in one of the Reddit threads saying that they had to cheat the speed of the plane in Top Gun Maverick because that's like the hardest thing to recreate. And we see it in two videos in perfectly accurate to a 777-200. You'd also have to have better VFX skills than a Marvel VFF, VFF expert who is the lead VFX expert on Endgame, Captain America, and Spider-Man No Way Home who said it would take at least four to six months using today's technology to research everything and be able to put it together. You'd have to have better understanding of physics than most PhDs. Like we just talked about what we see there. I've got PhDs telling me this is what it would look like or not PhDs, but 
theoretical physicists and engineers telling me that this is what it would look like and, and how to explain it. Better understanding of mathematics, because what we see with the pattern of the orbs is a perfect 120 degree uh, sinusoidal pattern, meaning there's a perfect wave function if you were to graph it. And then a couple other last things is how not to use a low quality 90s video game 2D visual effect in a 3D environment. And that's just throwing a little bit of shade at the debunkers out there that think that we're looking at some video game graphic from the 90s. But lastly, and maybe most interestingly, that we would never find the plane not even nine and a half years later. Because if we find a plane at any point in time, the whole hoax would break down, right? So to me, all that evidence says that I mean, it has to just be real. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Either the military created this in some elaborate ruse that doesn't make any sense, or it's just real. What are your guys' thoughts? Do they think that it was the... Well, one is, could they have gone in and cleaned up the debris in the weeks after to, to hide the crash? Second question, I guess, is, are the orbs purported to be sent up by the Americans? Does anyone have any even theory on who... Russians, you say? No, no. Um, so I just had good questions. Uh, the first one, I don't think there's any way to hide the debris field. So they, they were searching with planes like the next day and we got up to 42 planes and 39 boats from 13 different countries. So it seems impossible that they would be able to hide a debris field. Um, somebody's going to see And what would it. be the incentive to do so? Yeah, too. exactly. At that point, it's like, okay, well, why are you hiding the debris field, right? Like even with like TWA flight 800, which I'm pretty sure we ended up shooting down. You know, it's not like we were trying to hide the debris field or anything like that. You know, we just pretended like we didn't do it. <laughs> um, so the, I think that, the, you know, the fact there's no debris field is the biggest piece of evidence because it's impossible to hide. These people that we're searching to are not like military contractors or military people. They're just random volunteers that are in the area searching around. Yeah, the cover-up would be enormous and it would be multi-government. Exactly. And it probably still is multi-government, but just not like right. 13 countries cover up. It's like two or three countries or so, right? Yeah. Um, then in terms of them being deployed, you know, I think we can rule out China for sure because China hacked Malaysia. They were trying to get information about it. They are spreading this picture that looks like three orbs of a satellite, which is almost like spycraft saying, we know what you did. I don't think Russia is just advanced enough, frankly. Like people give Russia way too much credit. Um, they are just, I think, far behind where we're at. You know, to me, when I look at this, this is like Lockheed Martin technology or Northrop Grumman or, you know, some of these other third-party companies that are really big. And because we're the ones filming, it looks like we're ready for it. Like we're filming before the orbs even show up. This to me indicates that this is a U.S. operation, especially the part here where I'll just show it one more time in the thermal where they zoom in and then they zoom out right before it happens. To me, we're either getting super lucky when we're filming this. So they zoom in here once this plane goes off the... Oh, wait, let me show it one more time. They... They zoom in here in a second when the plane goes off the screen to the right. They zoom in, and when you see it again, the plane zoomed in. So it's like we're trying to get the best intelligence right before this happens, and then they zoom out right before the zap happens. Like we just know what's about to go down here. Look how those orbs have a, a heat signature yes. on one side. Yes. What are Sorry, those? keep going. Yes. Oh, so yeah. we, go ahead. Go for it. Yeah. So I talked to Bob Green here and he got, when he looked at this, he was one of the first engineers to look at this and go, whoa, I can explain this. And he says that this is, I believe, the monopole, that this is exactly what he would expect from the heat signature of spinning around in here. And that there is a toroidal pattern, like a donut shape, donuts inside of donuts that are creating this kind of focusing of electromagnetic fields that can then be focused in a particular direction to create what you were just talking about, that cavitation using like an, an accelerated pulse uh, effect that's a vibrational pulse effect. 
Yep. If I've thought a lot about the magnetic monopole, which don't exist in nature. We could, but I thought if we could create one, we could help. We could hover. We could tell it. We could hover above ground, like have hoverboards and things like that. Oh, you That's need to watch my Bob Green, your hard yeah. trip, then, man. I think you're going to like it a lot because yeah, it goes over my head. I'm not smart enough. I'm trying to be smart enough for some of this science stuff. But based on what you've been saying, I think you would have you, you would really enjoy that uh, interview. Probably any yeah. of my hard trips, but definitely number two and number three would probably be worth your time. I'll message yeah. you on Twitter after the show's over. Sure, definitely. Man. Yeah, Let's I talk. would, I would hi- highly recommend you watch those, Ian. They are fucking mind-blowing. Especially um, the one with Dave Rossi where he's just speaking off the cuff about everything. And I'm just yeah. going, oh, boy. Like, I yeah. better say we're not going to suicide ourselves right now. <laughs> exactly, dude. I was like, like, I'm watching this, well, and I'm like, thank God I'm too dumb to understand half of this, so hopefully the CIA doesn't come for me. Um, yeah, but yeah I mean, so that's it, why I think it's got to be, like, our technology. But, you know, I'm open to other people, but our other thoughts, but looking at everything and – and kind of coming to the evidence. And again, what Clint, what you were saying before, where it's like, initially, I'm even skeptical of all this, but because I've been so deep in it, and as it weighs down and all kind of comes together, it's like, how is it possible for the videos to be able to explain exactly what makes the most sense for what happened to the plane, you know, with the lithium, I'm right. like, everything just adds up in a way where it just has to be real, I guess. I can't come up with yeah, another. Like Occam's razor for me leads me towards this video being real, which is... Yeah rare because usually Occam's razor leads you away from the conspiracy theory, you know, type of territory. Mm-hmm. But this seems, it really does seem viable. Um, at least the, the broad thesis does to me a uh, real quick question for you. The, the orbs, they come, do they come out of the water? Do oh yeah. We, is that, is that so the think? second one, I'll actually show you quickly this other video satellite orb or the, uh, the satellite video of a color channel changed version where you can clearly see the second orb come out of the water. I think the first and third don't appear to come out of the water. And I've actually asked on my podcast, the the kind of engineering experts, like where could these be coming from? So where I want you guys to look is going to be right down where my mouse is over here. This orb is going to appear right here out of the water, skim across the water and shoot up through this cloud. You can only really see it clearly in the color channel change version. The first orb is already circling. The first orb came from the side of the screen. And the third orb comes from the other side of the screen. But the second one, you see it appear there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the second orb appears right there and starts to shoot up through the cloud right down here that's where my mouse is. crazy, dude. How you weird think, is that? You think it was released from a submarine? That's what I, that's, you know, you came to the same conclusion I did where it's like, it seems like it's coming from a submarine. But talking to Bob Greener, he says these things can be stable for like up to two days. So these things could just be floating around. And wow. they can float through the water because they have this bubble, like gravitational effect that is, um, um, you know, uh, the non-radiating barrier is separating them from space time entirely. So they can float through the water at normal speeds. They can float through the air. I even asked Salvatore Pius, can, they go can these things the go through solid? Yeah, just you guys are thinking the same wavelength as me. I said, can these go through solid matter? Right. And Salvatore Pius wouldn't answer. So that scared me a little bit. And when I asked <laughs> Bob Greener, he said that theoretically they could. And that's when I'm like, okay, man, guys, this is getting wild. Dude, because that, is so wild. that jumps into the other implications. So we might have a perfect defense system. We might be able to create fusion power from this. Because if we use the same field to like hold a sun, the power of a sun inside of it, right? Now you have fusion power, portable fusion power, right? Um, we might be able to capture free energy with this type of technology. Dave Rossi was talking about the Pac-Man example where he takes Pac-Man and says, all of our like um, like air conditioning stuff is a closed system with Pac-Man's mouth closed. But if you open Pac-Man's mouth up and you now allow the vacuum energy of space in, now you can get to a system where you're outputting more energy than you're putting in. And I said, well, that just sounds like free power to me, free energy, right? That's you can the, have the cold yeah, fusion holy grail. And, that, and uh, it's funny that I keep just referencing all these people that I've been interviewing, but... 
Bob Greenier then as well mentioned that for cold fusion, you don't actually necessarily need cold temperatures. And that's the secret is that you might be able to obtain cold fusion, not at absolute zero. Um, the other things that you could have is force fields or cloaking technology, right? We thought that maybe this is cloaking somehow that we're seeing, but talking to my experts and in all my interviews, I'm like 99.9% .9 sure that's some form of teleportation and that there's a small chance of it being more annihilation than anything else. Um, faster than light communication, which, you know, Tim pool already mentioned yesterday when I got the shout out, uh, at then, uh, the last option is really doomsday weapons. And this is the part that really gives me pause is in Salvatore Pius's high frequency gravitational wave paper that has like, I think 1.5 million views in the two locations that I put it. The last piece on there after he talks about, you know, fusion power and energy is the ability to destroy an asteroid or planetoid. And I look at that and I'm like, oh boy, this now, if you just scale that up a little bit, now you're talking about destroying a planet, right? But th that could also help us uh, disperse the torrid meteor stream because it looks like when they're really compacted, they can cause magnetic like difference in our, our magnetic field and get us really vulnerable to meteor strikes. Well, it's, so we it's the exact same phenomenon with, with nuclear technology. You can have this relatively low carbon emission energy that's that's plentiful, or you can fucking blow up, you know, a couple hundred thousand innocent people in a instant. I like Clint a lot. We think exactly the same, man. <laughs> There's this <laughs> thing about good and the bad, right? Yep. Fusion, I keep thinking when they're like, you can't get more energy out of the system that you put in, but there are no closed systems. In reality, energy can come from without into your system. Like there are no real barriers. Uh, so like... The ideal gas law says if you increase the pressure of a system, it's either going to expand or go up in temperature. But it doesn't account, it's only for linear systems. It doesn't account for inflative systems. If the system expands faster, then that will cause friction, which will cause more heat to expand even faster, which will cause more friction to give it more expansive power, more friction. So you've got these rapidly expand. So I think if they can rewrite the ideal gas law to account for inflation, you'll understand that fusion generators are, are not only possible, but likely. And we're building them. If you go Google them, they're building big ones. So somebody thinks they work right out there. Um, but what are these yeah. orbs? That's what I'm wondering. What are they? Are they little power packs? Like, uh, yeah. So you want to watch the Bob Greenier interview for sure, because okay. the way he describes is toroids within toroids. So it's like, think of like a donut. And then you take a group of donuts, make a bigger donut with those donuts. And what this can allow is for, I guess, when these energetic events happen, that it traps the energy in the middle instead of allowing it to separate out and expand out kind of like what you were just talking about i think with the um uh, some of the dynamic behaviors that you were mentioning and then the idea there is that the energy case stays trapped in the middle here at a single point where it can just keep accumulating 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 and oh, then yeah. that's where you can achieve the singularity or whatever you need to have happen and if it gets lost to an outer toroid it gets recycled back into yes, the middle again see that area you can explain it better than i can there you go yes it can get recycled back in and you just keep creating these toroids on toroids and toroids. And the toroid is the shape that we see. And, uh, and from what, uh, um, Dave Rossi mentioned as well is that like, if you were to take lasers and shoot them at each other as well, they'd begin to naturally, uh, form like a caduceus shape as well, which I thought of DNA right away. But apparently we see these same patterns, the same shapes through in biology, throughout space, and it's all curvature. It's just curvature. Talking plasma, that's a technology where they triangulate lasers and create balls of plasma that they can move. And I wonder if the other orbs were drawn to the first orb, that they were creating the first orb and then the other ones kind of get attached to It seems to that the... way, right? Because when we watch the satellite video, the first orb doesn't seem to track onto the plane right away. And I'll just pull it up again just so we can take another look at that. 
Yeah, but the the second and third are just like boom. They right just go position. right onto it right away. The first one misses like widely. Like this first orb just completely slingshots past it, and then it comes back and it immediately doesn't even get on it. It circles on the side of it, and then it gets around it. And it seems like from talking to Dave Rossi too that they're probably both attracting to one another and repelling one another. But they're creating That's a cool. field around it. Yeah, because mm-hmm. so they keep if, each other they keep each other equidistant by both. Because they're perfectly 120 degree sinusoidal pattern that somebody said from an electrical engineering perspective is like a 440 volt zero point uh, configuration. Wow. This is like cool because if they move the first orb and they're trying to aim it at the plane, they miss it, but then they kind of get near it and they get it right on there. And then like magnetically it's wobbling and then they get it to lock onto the metal or the heat or some some element in the plane. And they're like, now it starts to wrap around it and then the other ones can just go find it. Even yeah, though they're locked in a triangle pattern, are is it? Are they just going in a circle once they're locked in? So they're creating a sphere around the plane. If you were to collapse time down into a single point, you'd see them sphere encapsulating the entire plane in a sphere. It looks literally just like the movie Contact with Jodie Foster when she gets in the weird device they make and starts yeah. spinning around. The pattern they create looks just like that. Yeah, because um, like if you were to actually map out. If it was like creating some sort of physical barrier, mm-hmm. it just becomes a sphere around the entire plane, it looks like. Yeah, it's wild. And yeah, it, it breaks my brain every time looking at it, just going, what in the heck are these things doing? My guess is it's a way to obliterate something in secret, oh. but I don't know. Like, I feel like they took it off radar there and blew it up, but I, I can't. But see, the reason, the reason that it, it doesn't make sense is because it's, it's, the, it's cold. So if you're if you're blowing it up, that would be oh, maybe they imploded it. Who knows? Yeah, I mean it's, it's certainly possible, but, but like why why like, use that technology against the scientists that created it? Like yeah, that's very because strange. They were Chinese and Malaysian, and the Americans were like, we don't want those guys alive. That's yeah, why they work for an American problem. company, though. Yeah, interesting. And the only problem it just, with it is that this plane's already probably doomed. So if you want to wipe it out, you just let it crash. Then you don't need to right. do a cover up, right? That's my biggest issue with the annihilation of it. But again, you'll love. I know you're going to love the Bob Greenier interview because he also argues that he thinks it could be annihilation, um, and that like there has to be a byproduct, but that byproduct can be teleported anywhere, right? It could be in the center of the Earth, or whatever that it creates out of it, um, or somewhere else off the screen or whatever. Um, so that's why I brought the annihilation back in. Go ahead. Here's a quick theoretical question for you. You said that these orbs can can exist for multiple days. We think supposedly, if if they can, and if they can go Mach three or faster, I would imagine you could probably send one to the moon in in that amount of time. You can have the other three create a device, a portal device on Earth, and then you can portal things to to the moon. I think this this starts to just bend all of our understanding of physics, reality, and you know what the what the universe even is. Honestly, you know when I start to look at the capabilities, I start to think, well, this means we definitely live in a construct. This is like pulling up the cheat codes in a video game, right? Yeah, it's um, God mode. It really is. It's just that far advanced, and it makes sense then why like my NCI request to the person who I think leaked this NCIS FOIA request was denied in total under the Obama era exemption for national security defense and foreign relations, even though they said this guy's case wasn't a spy case. So I'm like, okay, well then what the heck did he leak this on the internet? I mean, well, this are we is looking at it? This is an important thing that we haven't discussed yet. The, the leaker, you, you're under the impression that he is imprisoned, correct? I think he's gotten out in the last couple of years. So he got three years shaved off his sentence, but I'll run through it. You guys tell me, I think a lot of people argue this is the most compelling part of it was that I started digging around thinking we've got a pretty good 
uh, frame of reference for like who the, the mindset of the person that would have leaked this. They are most likely U.S. military personnel, most likely an operator because they, you know, remove the HUD information from the drone, add the thermal layer over the top. They probably had an emotional reaction if they leaked this to this regicide and non-account just four days after the event. They crop out the drone of the satellite picture. This indicates they're not trying to damage U.S. intelligence. They maybe had to convince the regicide and non-account that the footage was real. And that's why it took them eight weeks to upload it, is that they have no idea what they're looking at. It just looks, yeah. you know, they have no basis of reference for it. They may have even have thought they were looking at UFOs, given the description being satellite video, airliner, and UFOs, and then later potentially had to be told this was U.S. technology. So I find Lieutenant Commander Edward C. Lynn, and this was not right away. It took weeks. I was digging, found, looking for everybody who was famously charged with stuff. Turns out he's in this part of this special VPU squadron, uh, VPU-2, flew in the Lockheed Martin EP-3 Ares-2, which has real-time tactical SIG int and full motion video intelligence. The crew fuses collected intelligence along with offboard data for battlefield space situational awareness. There was both the uh, French dad as well as Kate T saw two planes in the area that were at a uh, cruising altitude with lights, which could have been the AWACS that the French dad was told about uh, on the Netflix documentary. He's uh, his uh, the charges against him. The whole situation was called Operation Rogue Archer. Um, he had experience in signals intelligence. His last deployment was February 2014 to March 2016, but he gets reassigned March 25th, 2014, just one month after he gets assigned and just two weeks after the plane goes missing. The investigation into him began April 2nd, 2014. In, in May of 2014, he accidentally left two flight manifests in his flight suit from deployment that included search and rescue code names. Uh, given shit. that time frame, like it has to be MH370. There isn't any other search and rescues. Do, do we know where he was uh, deployed? Uh, Hawaii was the location, but I, apparently that uh, assignment could mean that they, you know, he flew out there to, you know, South Indian Ocean or whatever, you right. know, Southeast Asia, et cetera. The defense argued that the classified information in question is available on the internet. So if it's not these videos, what other classified information is out there that? Going to the next line, he gets arrested in September of 2015. People in my Discord, part of MH370X, just yesterday started speculating. Maybe they waited to charge him so that you couldn't put together that it was part of MH370. Because if they charge him in like April or, or May, right, people are going to be like, oh, what, what did he do related to MH370, right? And then we probably would have been able to piece together the videos as well, just like we've been able to do nine years later. Another uh, thing I, oh, I was thinking could have happened is uh, that the american government or whoever this company was like you know there's a lot of sensitive data on that plane and if it crashes in chinese waters they're going to recover it let's sublimate it and then they hit it with such high temperatures that they converted it into gas i was thinking that too like if there is some secret thing on people have speculated all kinds of secret stuff maybe being on the plane i've talked to florence Chang, who's probably the best mh370 investigator out there and she couldn't find anything and she dug deep, but she thinks that it was like rhino horns or ivory or some other contraband, but that it wasn't really mangosteens. But I've been able to find nothing that's hard evidence enough for me to report out there. But theoretically, if we find something like that, it could change the shape of the investigation for sure. Dude, even if it's fucking rhino horns or some other you know paraphernalia, you're not going to use this technology yeah. for that purpose. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Like this is so, this is so much bigger, like this is an asset that is more valuable than all of human wealth combined yeah. in all of human history. That's my opinion. So, so it's, it's got to like, be bigger than money, right? It has to be.
It ha- yeah. like you'd be fucking. I mean, it is the U.S. government, so I never leave out the possibility that they're just dumb as fuck. But it like that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. If you have this technology, you're you're only yeah. going to use it for the most important purposes, or or it's a test run, and you feel like you can get away with it. Uh, that those are the only answers mm-hmm. I can come up with. So yeah. the FBI gets does a sting operation on him in August of 2015. It gets him, I think, to sleep with this FBI agent and try to have him tell her secrets or whatever. Doesn't work out. They end up charging him. Charges uh, would have resulted in life in prison. First major incident of espionage by an active duty member of the U.S. Navy since the end of the Cold War. The defense argues that no, he's like worked 17 years diligently. He used to be a Thai, he was Taiwanese uh, patriot patriotized uh, American. He they gave him like secrets to like the U.S. you know nuke weapons and stuff like that in his past assignments. He was being fast tracked for upper you know management. He had worked under a congressional a or congressional staffers. Um, his charge sheet was heavily redacted. All the dates were redacted on every single charge. Um, all the names, etc. We looked at it. We even tried to use AI to like reverse it, but you can't just because you can't tell what dates are what. Um, he was privy to the Navy's black program portfolio. He had knowledge it would be extremely useful to potential adversaries. But then there's this article out there about the strange case of Edward C. Lynn that says that like they're not sure if the government can actually show that he was a spy. He's not really a spy. They end up admitting it's not even really a spy case and that there was no evidence whatsoever the exchange any sensitive information with anyone from China. The judge holds him in pretrial detainment, even though the uh, evidence they use for him being a risk is like just mundane emails. He doesn't get read his rights while he's in interrogation, his, uh, according to his lawyers. They tried to get the case dismissed because they weren't giving him a speedy trial. He was abused while he was in pretrial detainment, which they left him in pretrial detainment for the duration of 646 days, wouldn't let him out. Um, he ended up getting forced into a plea deal. And so he takes a nine-year sentence, nine years, for just the two charges that he admits to that he was actually guilty of. And ends up agreeing to work with the NCIS and the FBI in exchange for getting three years shaved off. So six total years. So with the like almost two years they spent in pretrial detainment, he was probably in prison until about 2020, 2021. Imagine coming out of prison right into lockdowns. What a fucking nightmare. (laughs) Uh, Especially, especially after being such a patriot and, you know, releasing this because you probably thought it was UFOs. Um, What a, what a fucking incredible story. So this dude, This dude has obviously sacrificed a lot to get this information to the public, but he's also had his life already ruined and endangered. So I assume he's not willing to talk, but I, I, I can't imagine that there aren't people that are on this trail that aren't trying to get him to talk. Uh, is there well, an update I was. on that? Yeah, I would imagine. Well, we found him very easily, and I called him one time. I'm only reporting this because I've already reported it before, so it doesn't really hurt to report it again. Um I called him. I found a few phone numbers, found one that I think was his and somebody hung, picked up the phone and hung up right away. Yeah. So I sent this person some text messages and said the truth, which is that you're a hero. You're my hero that I would take a bullet for you. I would do anything in this world to help you use all my resources, use all my followers to make sure that you're safe. Told him to send me any kind of sign if he wants that, I, that, you know, anything that might be happening. Uh, I didn't get any message back, but I didn't expect one because if he's got a plea deal, he just can't say anything or he's going to go back to prison, right? Or worse. And he might just not want to. I mean, they spent six years in jail. We ignored the videos. We ignored his goodwill. 
Right. Um, imagine the mental state of this person, right? He probably just wants to move on with his life and not have this be out there, right? Yeah, the entire time he's in prison, he's expecting like this story to blow up. And, and then as soon as he gets out of prison, it blows up. And he's like, well, fuck y'all. I've been yeah. waiting for you. That's how I would look at it, probably. I, I, these days, I'm thinking of over like national defense. And like at first, I was like, yo, if it's if the information exists, tell the entire world. And now I'm like, uh... I wasn't a big fan of the liberal economic order, but I think it's the best economic, the least worst economic order. So maybe it's like, it's not that it's dangerous to to tell. It is. I, I'm like, now I'm on the line of like, we should use this technology to protect American constitutionalism to our best ability. The problem is uh, the politicians that have this this technology yeah. under their control are not interested in defending our constitutional rights, Ian. Like, that's that's the issue. I agree so, with both you guys. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with Ian too, but it's just the problem is that in reality, the pol the political class is, is uh, very antagonistic to the human race as far as I can tell. Yeah, so Every day I wake up and I think, am I doing the right thing right now? Like, is revealing sure. this correct? If we think about this doomsday weapon scenario, and this is what I ask all the UFOlogists, I've been talking to people that I never thought I would talk to. I'm not going to name drop people, but prominent UFOlogists, people, prominent podcasters, and the question I always ask is, okay, we know about nuclear weapons, right? That's something that's like child's toys compared to what we're talking about now. If you were to give ISIS, an individual terrorist, the ability to blow up the whole planet, is it still worth disclosure? Would you still want it? And I think that that's a very tough question that it, it's easy to say, yes, we still want it. Uh, most people still say, yes, it's up to us to determine our fate, right? From a human race perspective. But boy, I don't want to be the one responsible for the end of the world. So just like Ian said, like, I think we have to be very, we have to think about this very cognizantly. Yep. Yeah. The same thing with Timothy McVeigh. I was like, if everyone had unlimited power and one monkey dropped it on the ground and blew everything up, like, so I understand now secrecy in a, in a better way. It's, uh, well, me too, man. Let, let me, let me take it in a different direction. I think Timothy yeah. McVeigh was working for with the FBI, there was lots of informants. Uh, I, I can I can red pill you on this one as well, Ian. <laughs> do not do not trust this government. They are very dangerous. Um, but look, I, I really appreciate your time, Ash, and I, we yeah. we've gone longer than I expected. But um, I, it's been I, fun, though. I, yeah, no, it has, and and I honestly think this is this. Ha I mean, as I, I opened this conversation with, I think this is probably the biggest story in the history of the world. And and you know, if it's not, then I'm a fool. But uh, at this point, I'm I'm pretty damn convinced. As you said, I think it was like 99%. I'm like, yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm like, this. There's just too. There's too much. I mean, that that list you ran down as to yeah. what it what it would require to have faked this is just it's so insurmountable. Um, I, I don't know how you come to any other conclusion, but I know Ian is is always the skeptic, and I appreciate that about you. Ian, any other follow ups that you'd like to? No, uh, I'll. Uh, I want to see this video you were talking about, though, and I'll put you in touch with. I think Jeremy Riss, the alien scientist, is. Oh, a I've good talked guy. to him. Yeah, Great. I like him a lot. Awesome. We had a we had an awesome podcast where like he's a skeptical guy too, and I actually think I turned him a little bit. And now we're we're buddies as well. We DM once a month. I think he's going to be on my podcast. Uh, in a little bit as well but uh oh, good. yeah good guys and so is uh bernie one of his uh co-hosts that he works with so well, the, this is the reason i i was so compelled by by your story ashton is that like usually the people that are in this this world just come across as fucking nutcases and and <laughs> as i as i'm hearing you explain this on on a series of different interviews it's just very fact-based you're you you go out of your way not yeah. to you know guess at things and um, you know, that's my job. I want to, I want to guess <laughs> at, at things. So I, I guess, uh, we'll, we'll wrap with this. Um, do we have, I mean, if, if the, if the technology is real and if what we're seeing is real and you have these three orbs and the fourth one is where it takes the plane, is there 
is there any way based i mean you said that based off the trajectory of the triangle there is no way to guess yeah. even at where it went um but is your best bet that that uh that I guess CIA black ops base. Yeah. I mean, if I'm gambling, I'm putting it all on Diego Garcia. I don't know that it instantly teleported there. I mean, there's a B seven, seven, seven fire suppression device that washes up in the Maldives that they just dismiss, even though there's a serial number like listed right on it. And there was a sighting in uh, Maldives in the early morning, which the only reason why I got dismissed, the timing didn't make any sense and needed the direction of travel. But a bunch of Islanders see a jumbo jet with a red and white stripe of Malaysian airlines on it in the early morning of that next day. So it's like, okay, wow. the plane would had to be there somehow. And it just became a question of how did it get there right now? If and it was teleport it. Yeah. Flying low, flying low as well. Again, consistent with keeping the plane, the passengers alive. Right. Jesus. So, and this is only like a hundred miles from Diego Garcia or something like that, you know? And so, I mean, if that I'm gambling, crazy. I'm just putting it all on that base. Um, but yeah, I appreciate that analysis that you did of me because I think that's my approach. Like you guys, I'm a very rational, logical person. I never thought I would run across a conspiracy of anything close to this magnitude my whole life. And I never thought I'd be in a position that I'm in right now. But I'll be damned if I'm going to let it go to waste. Uh, I'm going to make sure that, you know, we try to get the truth here. And I think the only way we can get that is from the U.S. government. We either need Edward C. Lynn to come out and, you know, risk it again, or we need to get him a pardon so he can speak freely or we need the U.S. government to say something. I think the silence from the media and the silence from the government is very telling at this point. Yeah, like they, it's... if it was fake, they would have come out and said, "Hey, guys, there's some videos going around and they're totally fake." They might still do that if they're real, but they're saying nothing instead. The media right. saying nothing. Uh, that's it's, it's like, pretty it's like weird. The story's not even happening. Even yeah, though it's they're enormous. trying to make it go away quietly, right? Yeah, the silence is deafening, as they say. Mm -hmm. Well, I I find this to be. Just absolutely fascinating, and uh, I know you're you're going to be on the media circuit uh, aggressively for <laughs> probably the rest of your life at this point. Uh, but if you wouldn't mind, I would love to have you back in a couple months just sure. to get updates because I know you're, there's going to be more findings. Hopefully, the government does give us you know whatever their bullshit explanation is going to be, yeah. so we can we can annihilate that too. Um, at Liberty Lockpot on Twitter, go ahead and follow me there, guys. And if you please hit the subscribe, hit the follow. I just got a suspension, a second strike from YouTube, so this will be on Rumble. But please do subscribe over there. Uh, Ian and Ashton, uh, let's start with Ian. Go ahead and tell people where they can follow you. Right here at Ian Crossland, all over the internet. Boom. Hit me up. As well as Timcast IRL, but also the yeah. bestpoliticalshow.com with myself and Luke Rudkowski. We will be over there in a couple hours tonight. And uh, Ashton, where can people follow you? Awesome. Yeah, pretty similar right here at JustXAshton. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on YouTube. And occasionally, but rarely, you can find me on Instagram. I'm not a big fan of social media, but we're trying to branch out a little bit to get to as many audience members as we can out there. Follow along the case there. I've been streaming nightly as well on YouTube, so come check it out. Yep. And... Uh, and let's just go around the circle and say how uh, in perfect health and not suicidal all of us are. Uh, I yes. am. I just went to the doctor, got a checkup. Perfect health. If I were to drop dead, uh, you should immediately investigate. There's no fucking chance that I'm suicidal. Uh, Ian, feeling feeling optimistic? I, I feel great. Let's protect the species. That's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah. And I've uh, I'm in a better health than I've ever been. I'm happier than I've ever been. I would definitely never do anything, and I'm not gonna you know fall down the elevator shafts and gonna be careful walking around at night. <laughs> Uh, thank you guys. If, uh, if you enjoyed this, please share it around. I think this is honestly, this is such an underreported story. This is very early days, but this is going to be a fucking earth shattering story once the, the normies catch on. So let this be their moment to catch on, send it to them and tell them to watch it. will uh, if they don't shit their pants, they'll enjoy it. All right, guys. See you soon. Thanks.
Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?